You're listening to the On The Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending August 12th, 2016. Hello and welcome to the podcast, a weekly recap of the top headlines from the Daily Acquisition News. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Dara Curran, content developer and news writer. The Office of Management and Budget this week released its finalized policy on parameters agencies should abide by when acquiring customized software. In essence, if you need to customize, OMB wants you to obtain your product as much as possible in open source form and then share what you can with your compatriot agency partners in the government. Open source, as we've said before, essentially gives you a product made of Legos. They're compatible blocks that can be rearranged and reprogrammed to suit different needs. So it makes sense for the government to squeeze the value out of any dollars spent on custom software by buying things that other organizations can reuse, either the entire product of or at least those essential building blocks. Moreover, if it's open access and widely compatible and reusable, you may further deduce. It also means you are not locked into using a single vendor for their proprietary software for forever. So once again, a smart investment of taxpayer dollars, leaving you options for shopping around in the future. Enough of the high-level theory, you say. What's the nitty-gritty we need to know about? Well, specifically, the policy addresses the procurement of new software code and establishes requirements for source code receipt and reuse and for releasing code to the public. Now, as great as open source tech may be, this isn't the first stop on the alternatives train. OMB emphasizes that agencies still need to go through a hierarchy of considerations before acquiring custom code. Agencies should conduct strategic analyses and look first to see if there's an existing federal or commercial solution. Then, after exhausting those avenues, they may pursue an arrangement to develop new customized code. Part of the procurement process for custom code will be to have the vendor deliver the custom code, documentation, and other associated materials throughout the development process, so all the info and products are in place and ready for sharing with other government agencies. In addition, an open source pilot program is in place that will require agencies to release a minimum of 20% of newly developed custom code back to the public that paid for it. The focus on selections for the pilot should be items likely to be useful to the broader community. As we mentioned when we covered the draft of this policy when it was released in March, the policy does exempt national security system software, and it won't retroactively apply to custom software items already in place, though agencies are strongly encouraged to examine whether it might be possible to share building blocks from those with other federal organizations. OMB also published a final rule adopting North American Industry Classification System revisions for 2017, as recommended by the Economic Classification Policy Committee. The revisions focus on new and emerging industries and update the structure of the oil and gas industries addressed in subsector 211, oil and gas extraction. Federal statistical data for reference years beginning on or after January 1, 2017 should use these revisions. Further guidance on the codes is slated for release in January. The Government Accountability Office is inviting comments and feedback on a draft guide that aims to help demystify how to evaluate the maturity of hardware and software technologies that are part of a larger, more complex program. 
It outlines process of conducting an evidence-based technology readiness assessment, or TRA, to help identify potential concerns with the technology, how it fits within the larger program, and accordingly, help illuminate ways to mitigate the risks inherent in moving the program from early technology development, where things may be a bit more flexible and forgiving, to system development and beyond. This is intended to serve as a resource for supporting key milestone decisions so that massive resources are not committed to immature technologies that may end up delaying or even damaging the progress of a program. It's intended to work with GAO's cost estimating and schedule assessment guides so agencies can use it as a supplement to their own internal policies for program development and decision making, and oversight bodies can use it as a guide to help inform their management. Comments and suggestions will be accepted through August 10th of next year. The Department of Homeland Security has awarded 30 businesses places on an IDIQ contract for non-information technology services that could be worth as much as $1.5 billion over a five-year period. The agency's Program Management, Administrative, Clerical, and Technical Services, or PACTS, two program, is entirely set aside for service-disabled, veteran-owned small businesses. Winners in Functional Category 1 will compete for program management and technical support task orders, while vendors selected for Functional Category 2 will compete to offer administrative and operations services. The Defense Health Agency's recent TRICARE contract awards are under fire from not just unsuccessful bidders, but even from one of the winners. Three companies have filed four protests. The winner of the $18 billion West Region contract, HealthNet Federal Services, is arguing it should also have won the $41 billion East Region award. Current incumbent for the West Region, meanwhile, United Health Military and Veterans, has challenged both the East and West awards, and WellPoint Military Care is challenging the East Region award. As we've covered in the news previously, DHA took some extensive precautionary steps to try to protest-proof the solicitation, so it will be interesting to see what happens here. DHA has 30 days to respond to the protests, and GEO has until mid-November to render its decisions. Rounding out the circle of solicitation life, contract award, protest of awards, and now, the Defense Information Systems Agency is going to revise its final request for proposals for the $17.5 billion Encore 3 IT contract in response to two complaints GAO upheld last week. GEO concurred that DISA did not establish reasonable evaluation of contractors' costs, nor provide an adequate strategy for determining the reasonability of bidders' prices for the cost-plus portion of the award. We are still waiting on GEO to release full details of their deliberations and decision. The Small Business Administration has launched a website aimed at simplifying the application process for small businesses interested in working with the government. The new certified.sba.gov offers an Am I Eligible section that will walk small business through a series of simple questions to assess their program eligibility, and checklists will help businesses apply to the Women-Owned Small Business, 8A Business Development, and HubZone programs. The new website presently only accepts electronic completion of certification forms, including third-party certifications from WOSBs, but soon will be expanding out to other SBA programs. In an August 8th policy flash, the Department of Energy released guidance for procurement directors and contracting officers addressing provisional reimbursement and allowability of costs associated with whistleblower actions. It calls for COs to work with Department Counsel to consider all contractor requests for provisional reimbursement of whistleblower proceeding costs on a case-by-case basis. It also discusses the allowability of a number of particular costs. 
The acquisition letter applies to all DOE and National Nuclear Security Administration cost reimbursement contracts, and it is effective immediately. DOD has published a proposed rule that would amend the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement to implement Section 831 of the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2013, and Sections 851 through 853 and 855 through 857 of the NDAA for fiscal 2016 relating to commercial item acquisitions. We have a bunch of definitions and clarifications included here, such as providing contracting officers with a hierarchy of data to consider when making determinations of price reasonableness, an outline of their responsibility for determining if the information provided by the offerer is sufficient to determine price reasonableness, and a prescription for how they should treat prior commercial item determinations and non-traditional defense contractors. Suffice it to say, if this applies to your daily responsibilities, please peruse further details in our news coverage, which also has links to the full proposed rule, and be sure to submit your comments by October 11, 2016, for consideration in the final rules formulation. DOD also published a final rule effective immediately, making technical amendments to the DFARS, addressing the higher micro-purchase thresholds prescribed in FAR 13.201G to support a declared contingency operation or to facilitate defense against or recovery from nuclear, biological, chemical, or radiological attack. And on that cheerful note, that's all for this week. If you are a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you can read more about any of the headlines addressed here on the same VAO page where you downloaded the podcast. Thanks very much for joining me today. Tune in again next Friday, August 19th, to catch up on all the latest developments from the Daily Acquisition News. Goodbye.